morning, friends. Uh, I'm going to read the Bible for you. We're continuing in the letter uh, of James. Uh, We're taking up again from verse 13 of chapter 3. So it's uh, chapter 3, verse 13 of James through to chapter 4, verse 12. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Thanks, Kevin. And thanks, Kevin. Uh, It's always a wonderful privilege to be able to be here and to um, preach, uh, share God's word as a, a means of encouragement. Sometimes God's word 
It's always encouraging, but sometimes it's warning. Uh, it's sobering. It's confronting. Uh, and the danger is that we can just be complacent and take God's word ah, and go home. Uh, so this is God's word. This is God speaking today. Please join me as I pray. Now, Father, as we pray, we remind ourselves that you are God. The very breath that we have is because of who you are and your generosity. We thank you that you're abundant in what you give. And when you give warnings, you do so because of your great love and care. Please give us ears to hear and hearts that are soft and obedient. And we thank you for your great kindness and grace to us. We thank you that you are for us in the Lord Jesus and not against us. Amen. Uh, about a year ago, uh, I was doing a, well, I am doing a, it's called a chaplaincy and past, uh, chaplaincy and spiritual care course. I do it at Moreland College. I do one subject a semester. Uh, and about a year, 18 months ago, I was in a subject where I, have, I had to interview, uh, like a counselling session, a fellow student. And they also did that with me. Uh, we had to talk about a trauma that we have been through. Uh, he, he chose uh, a church conflict that he'd been involved in, and I chose a, a head-on collision that we were involved in. Uh, the, the idea was to listen and to reflect and help process some of that trauma. Uh, it was recorded, uh, videoed, and then it went to the lecturer, and we got our marks back, and he did really well. And I didn't do very well. That ate away at me. I already felt the lecture was against me or had a bias against me. And I found myself envious of this other guy and the marks that he got. And I found there was resentment within me towards the lecturer. The word envy refers to a strong desire for what another has. And we can, be almost, we can be envious about almost anything. I could ask you to think about things that you're envy about, envious about, and I'm sure all of us would come up with things that there is a temptation to want what others have. Uh, we can be envious of other people's wealth. We can be envious of the comfort of celebrities. We can be envious of another's new car. We can be envious about another's children and their family. We can be envious about another's body image. Envy just seems so natural to us. Envy arises because of what we focus on. Envy arises because where we put our focus. You see, if the lecturer had given me a good mark, I wouldn't have been envious. So 
I'm envious about where my focus is. I was dissatisfied and my attention went elsewhere. And envy made me double-minded or doubled-focused. I was looking at one direction and what I didn't have, in one sense, what the marks I got, but I didn't get the marks I thought I should deserve. And so I focused on what I thought would bring me contentment. Without realising it began to eat away at me. Well, James wants to talk about envy and two types of wisdom. Uh, the book of James is really about wisdom and double-mindedness. And to be wise is to have one focus, one mind, a focus on Christ alone. James urges us to have this single focus rather than trying to find satisfaction by looking two different ways looking at what others have, but also trying to look towards God. It's in this context that James raises the question. It's in the context of wisdom that James raises this about envy. It's interesting in, in the verses that, uh, that Kevin read, read for James, wisdom is not primarily about knowledge. It certainly is about knowledge. It's not about choice, although wisdom is shown in our choices. For James, godly wisdom will be seen in our character and our relationships. It will be seen in our humility and the way that we treat others. Uh, verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And then skipping down to verses 17 and 18. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. See, wisdom is about... Humility and how we deal with other people. It's about our character. James says in verse 17, wisdom from heaven is first of all pure. It seems that James puts pure first because it sets the tone for all the others that will come in the list. Purity is about following God with unmixed motives. To be pure, there is... It's not contaminated. There's not other things added to it. It's not double-minded. Godly wisdom will be seen in decisions we make that reflect God's character and are concerned for how others are affected. Godly wisdom will promote wholeness and grace and reconciliation. You may have heard this story. It's one of these stories that I would have heard many, many years ago, and yet it's always stuck with me. It's about a guy called Watchman Nee, a Chinese man who lived a fair while ago, but a godly Christian. He told a story about a Christian farmer, or Chinese farmer, who had become a new believer, a follower of Jesus, 
and he discovered that his neighbour had breached the bank of his garden and was running his water into the neighbour's garden. Uh, the hills were terraced, and it was hard work pumping water by hand up the hill to his garden. So this was very serious. It was a breach in more ways than one. Uh, the farmer went to his church's elders and told them what was happening and said, what does a Christian do? Uh, well, the, the elders said, first, we're going to pray. And they prayed, and after they prayed, one of them said, try going the second mile. Well, the next morning, the farmer went and the entire morning pumped water up to his neighbour's property. And then all afternoon, he pumped water up to his own property. The neighbour was dumbfounded. He had never heard of anyone doing this before. But for this farmer, here were deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. How humble and gracious. The farmer treated the other with love and gentleness, reflecting the very heart and character of the Lord Jesus and had a profound impact. Godly wisdom. But in contrast, James aligns worldly wisdom with unspiritual and demonic. It's the wisdom that the serpent offered Adam and Eve. It's the wisdom that promises so much, but actually it erodes relationships. It erodes relationships because it's centred on self. So whereas godly wisdom produces a harvest of righteousness... Worldly wisdom produces a harvest of selfishness. James says in those verses in between, verses 14 to 16, but if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You see, when I lose my focus on Christ, when I begin to have a double mind and my wisdom is based on what I see around me, what others have, the result will be I become self-focused and I lack care for others. And it's so easy to justify why I should be concerned about myself. It's so easy to say, but you don't know what they did. Or maybe we spiritualise and say, I prayed about it and God told me. If, this, if life is about what I want, then I've lost my focus. And if, if life is about what I want, it's only a matter of time, most probably before I have a crisis of meaning. When I begin saying, what's life all about? Because selfishness never satisfies. Uh, I'm, 
I'm old in many ways. Uh, it's only recently I started listening to podcasts, even though I've had an iPhone for many, many years. Uh, and my son, I don't know what podcasts I listen to, uh, and my son suggested a couple. And one of them is called This Cultural Moment. It, it's a podcast from a couple of years ago, and it's about two guys, one's an Australian and one's an American, and they're talking about following Jesus in a post-Christian world. And in one episode, uh, one of them mentioned three things that are important for people to live in a healthy way. And he gave an analogy of a water tank. Uh, a water tank that maybe collects rain from a roof, but within the water tank there are three smaller tanks. And those tanks are meaning, uh, community or relationships, and freedom. Uh, and they talked about, for us in Western society, our freedom tank is overflowing. It's full to the brim. We have so much freedom. We have freedom as to what to eat. We have freedom as to what to watch. We have freedom as to which church service to come to, what to wear, where to go, what political party I vote for, who I'm in relationship with, what gender will I be today. In fact... We have so much freedom for some people to cause us anxiety because they don't know what to choose. But for many countries, they have no freedom or very little freedom. And so their freedom tank is very, very low, if not dry. And while our freedom tank is over full, for many Australians, their meaning tank is almost empty. We look for meaning in what we want, or what we have, or in what we do, or in who we're intimate with. We look for meaning in things causes to fight for, or for in entertainment we have. And yet, despite having so much freedom, we're still thirsty and discontent and want more. The meaning reservoir can only be filled in a deep sense as Christ's presence fills someone, like, filling, like the water tank being filled. But to follow Christ means to forego our freedom as we take on his yoke and his burden. And as we say no to ourselves, that has a bearing on our relationships. We value other people, for it's no longer about me, but we seek to care for others, and we find meaning and purpose in doing that. This is the godly wisdom that James is talking about. But James gives a warning it's a warning about adultery. James wrote to a church where some people were driven by envy. They were selfish. And what drove them had an impact on others, causing breakdown in relationships. It says, so you kill. I don't think that's meant literally, but that's what envy does. It destroys people inwardly. For this church, they're double-minders, 
their double-mindedness was seen in their greed and how they prayed when they did pray and what they prayed for. Chapter 4 begins, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What we pray for is a window that reveals our heart's desires. What you pray for is a window that reveals what's really important to you. If our prayers are mostly about ourselves, that shows we are concerned mostly about ourselves. The word covet is actually the same word or the same root word as envy. And if we want what the world promises, if we are driven to look elsewhere to find our meaning. James calls us adulteresses. That's a strong word. Adulteresses. Verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? It seems that James is probably thinking about Hosea. Hosea was an Old Testament prophet who married, was told to marry a prostitute as a metaphor for God's covenant people. Uh, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. God's covenant people, the people who belong to God, were looking elsewhere. They thought they would find their meaning in other nations and other gods. And they gave their love and loyalty away. They became double-minded. And James warns us that to find meaning, to look for meaning in what the world offers means adultery because we desire another. We look to another. And in a sense, James says, come to your senses. Wake up to yourselves. Can't you see what you're doing? In verse 5, James refers to what Scripture says and yet there doesn't seem to be any direct reference so quite possibly, he's summarising many passages in the Old Testament that speak about God's longing that his people would give their love to him. 
and that God jealously longs. It's not the sense, the same sense of envy that we talked about. It's not that God wants what he doesn't have, but he looks elsewhere. Rather, God wants what is rightfully his. God desires our focus and attention because he alone deserves it. He made us, and what's more, he sent Jesus to purchase us, buy us back from slavery, buy us back to being pursuing what the world offers. And it makes him rightfully jealous when we go off chasing other gods again. It makes God rightfully jealous when we go looking to find our meaning elsewhere. John Piper, in what is often quoted, says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He is the only one who can meet the deepest needs of security and significance and acceptance. And yet, like Adam and Eve, we get lured away We get deceived. We give ourselves to others. We become double-minded, trying to remain connected to God while we're looking and almost allowing ourselves to be tempted. Uh, A movie that was made many, 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 many years ago, I, I don't know, 25 years ago, maybe, the Poseidon Adventure is, a, is about a cruise ship that is hit by a tidal wave and, and the ship actually turns over and most of the passengers in their desperateness and trying to get to safety head to the top of the ship thinking that it is there that they will find freedom but the top is now down at the bottom And so they're trying to get to the top, but they're actually going further away from what will be the place where they're rescued. They're deceived. But there's one person who recognises what's happened, and he has a small group, and he tries to persuade them that you're going away from being rescued. But this small group go to the bottom of the ship, which is now actually at the top where they can be rescued, where they will be found. And like Adam and Eve in our sinfulness, we're all heading to what we think will bring us freedom and meaning by going to the top of the ship without actually realising that we're going down to the bottom. We're going further away. Yet it's only God's grace that can open up our eyes to see clearly that all that the world offers is actually setting us on a path away from God. Verse 6 of chapter 4, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. It's a quote from uh, from Proverbs chapter 3. And verse 34, the wise inherit honour, 
sorry, no, he mocks proud, he mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. James says, no matter how far you strayed, no matter how far you've gone down trying to think you're going to the top of the ship, but actually you're going down to the bottom, God offers and gives all the grace that is needed to humbly turn around and trust him. But God will also oppose those who seek to find their freedom in this life. For in not turning, in not turning to Jesus, they believe they are not in need of God's mercy. They may hold they believe that, but they're actually also looking for God or for meaning and purpose in other things. And so James tells us what it means to be humble. He says in verse 7 to 10, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I'm not going to talk about those. There's ten imperatives, ten instructions, ten commands, all of which denounce and reject worldly wisdom and double-mindedness. God gives us grace to humble ourselves and recognise that we have gone after others. We have given out loyalty to others. But to recognise and give our love and loyalty to the one who truly loves us. I want to finish by saying C.S. Lewis said, Give yourself up and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. James longs for us to understand that what we focus on, what grabs our attention, will reveal what, where our heart is. And really... What we focus on will reveal where our destiny is. What we focus on reveals where our heart is. I would like to pray and pray that God who offers to give us all the grace that we need, who offers to give me all the grace I need to turn, but also to pray that God gives us grace that we keep following, that we keep our love and focus on the Lord Jesus, that we're not drawn away by so much freedom that we lose our meaning and share relationships with others. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that you love us so much that 
you are not willing for uh, not giving us warnings. You want, you want to, us to open our eyes, and, and really it's only your grace that enables us to open our eyes. Now, Father, we confess it is so easy to look elsewhere trying to find our identity and our security, trying to find things that we think will bring us meaning and, and add them to you, forgetting that in you we have everything. Please help us to reflect on where our focus is, now, Father, we confess that it is so easy to be envious, to be so easy what others have, to want security. We don't want to be so spiritual that we don't care for things. But now, Father, please, may you have our heart and we thank you that everything else you give to us. Thank you for your word. Yeah, may your word continue to dwell in us and do its work and keep leading us to Christ and finding joy in your abundant generosity in who you are. Amen.